0: No, so don't you think it's time we talk money let's talk money you guys want to talk money no all right well we're talking about stewardship and so let's uh go to first corinthians 4 1 through 4 we'll read our kind of our theme passage and then we'll have a word of prayer we're going to jump right in we will not keep you long. i have to break this down into a couple of weeks as we talk a little bit about stewarding our finances, stewarding our treasures, stewarding our money. 1 Corinthians 4, 1-4, as we continue our series on stewardship, Paul says this. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. But not only are we servants of Christ, but he says, and stewards of the mysteries of God. He calls us stewards or managers. He says, moreover, it is required of stewards or managers that they be found Faithful. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself. He says, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord, is the Lord who judges me. And let me remind you of something. It's not my place to judge you or your place to judge me. But according to what Paul says, there's a day where we will Be judged by the Lord for how we manage the things that God has blessed us with. How we steward our lives. How we steward the things that God has blessed us with. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump right in. We're going to talk about a very fun subject of of money. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would bless, Lord, your word. Bless our time. There are a lot of scripture that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to spend some time. Lord, looking at managing, Lord, our finances, uh, especially in the area of of giving, Lord, and and, uh, being good stewards of what you've blessed us with. Lord, I pray that you would bless your word. I pray that we would uh, not just be hearers, Lord, of the word, but we would be doers of the word as well. And Lord, so bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we started a series a number of weeks back on stewardship. And as I mentioned, we haven't even talked money yet. Uh, because I believe that stewardship covers so many areas in all the areas of our lives. But we have finally kind of come to this point where we're going to talk a little bit for the next two weeks or so on our money, on our treasures. Uh, last week we talked about the treasure of our relationships and our family uh, and, and the relationships that God has blessed us with. And that they are the greatest of treasures that God has blessed us with. But God is also, we're going to see here in a moment, bless us financially, bless us uh, with, with finances. And so I want you to understand that the Bible does teach a lot about this. What does the Bible say about money and stewardship? Uh, did you know that there are roughly 2,350 verses concerning money in the scriptures in the Bible? That's almost uh, twice as many as there are verses about faith and about prayer combined. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about money. They say, theologians say that nearly 15%, 15% of everything that Jesus spoke about related to money and possessions. Now there's kind of some debate on this, but I would say this, that close to half the parables, not quite, but nearly more than a third uh, of the parables, and there's different numbers. Some people think that there's 36, some people think there's 38, some people say there's 40 some parables, but... In the parables of Jesus, almost a third to a half of them speak about money, or he uses money as an example or an illustration. Um, the only subject that Jesus taught more about than money was the kingdom of God. And so sometimes when we think, uh, well, pastors just talk about money, or the church just talks about money, and a lot of times, let's be honest, a lot of churches, it seems like that's all they ever talk about, right? Right? But understand that this topic, this subject is something that Jesus spoke a lot about. And he he spoke about it often. It's something that the scripture teaches a lot about. Let me remind you of something. One, and we'll come to this passage later, another time, maybe even next week. But Jesus said this, for where your treasure is, can you say the rest with me? There will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, Really, the idea is this: follow the money, right? You know, follow the money. And sometimes, when we think about the church or a pastor or a ministry speaking about money, many times people get upset and people get all worked up. But you know, it's really interesting uh, to quote uh, kind of a, an old movie. Uh, growing up, I remember at Christmas time, my dad would always make us watch "It's a Wonderful Life." How many of you have ever heard that? Remember that movie? It's a Wonderful Life. That is like a long, long movie. I mean, it was just kept going and going. And, you know, J- J- Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy Stuart, you know, and uh, here, you know, I love that guy and I love that movie. And I like what, what the angel said. What was his name? Clarence. All right. You guys are good. Remember what Clarence you know, said he talked, he was telling Jimmy Stewart, he was talking about money. He goes, oh, well, we don't, you know, we don't, money's no big deal. We don't need money. I love what Jimmy Stewart said. He goes, yeah, well, it comes in pretty handy down here, Bob. <laughs> you know, it comes in handy, doesn't it? Money comes in really handy. And, and by the way, you know, we see through scripture that even the days of Jesus, there were times where Peter was concerned about finances and about money and we even see an example in scripture where Peter's like we have taxes to pay what are we going to do and remember Rome man they had a they, they they ruled with an iron fist and Peter was even concerned and Jesus remember sends him out and he says hey go out and catch a fish you know catch a fish and after you catch that fish he says will be you know get the coin get the money and then you'll be able to go pay your taxes so money does come in handy. And all God's people said, amen. amen. It does come in handy. We need it. But, you know, it's often interesting that if, when you bring it up in church, people get very uncomfortable. People get offended. People get upset. But can I tell you something, you know, uh, whether it's going to Walmart, uh, how many of you are a member of Sam's or Costco? How many of you are Costco members? Let me ask you something. You have to pay dues. Oh, you do, don't you? There's dues, right? Membership has its privileges, right? You know, no one even thinks about that or bats an eye. How many of you go to, I know I know, a lot of you from the gym, by the way. How many of you go to have a gym membership somewhere? How many of you go out and have a gym membership? All right. Do you pay dues? You don't even think about it, right? It's just, that's just what you do. That's the way it is. You know, it's interesting. I, I coach. Wrestling, and I've coached football, and I've coached the league baseball. Do you know that there's ideas, and I'm not trying to make this legalistic, but no one really thinks much about it. But people pay money so their kid can wrestle, they put money in there, you know, and there's dues, and there's fundraisers, and there's all these things. And most people get it, right? In order for them to travel, in order for them to, to compete, in order for them to do what they need to do, money is involved. Are you with me this morning, right? But why is it that many times when we speak of it in a church setting, immediately everyone gets angry and everyone gets upset? Now, I know you guys are not that way. Amen? You are not that way. And you're not uncomfortable at all. But the Bible does speak a lot about our finances and stewarding them. And why did God bless us with what he has blessed us with? So let's look at some scripture very quickly. Let's jump right in. One of the first things I want you to see is all the way back in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 29. It says this. He says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Notice what he says. Bring an offering. He says, bring an offering and come before him. Notice, can you say the next word with me? Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. He speaks of worship here. One thing that we don't think about but I do believe this to be true that you'll find through scripture and that is this, is that one aspect of giving or giving is, is a part of our worship. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. All the way back here in the Old Testament, even the scripture talks about that, that they would bring an offering to the Lord. You'll find throughout scripture that even before the, the command of tithing, you'll find that Abraham... The Bible says gave a tenth. He gave a tithe to to Melchizedek. And there's a whole other teaching on Melchizedek. But the idea is this, is that it was a part of his act of worship. And that Abraham gave a tenth. And sometimes people say, well, I don't believe in tithing. We'll talk about that in a few moments. For those who say, well, I don't believe in tithing. And whether it's a tithe or not. And as I said, we're not going to talk about this in a legalistic way. Where, uh, and by the way, you know this, that we don't come after you whether you tithe or not. We, we you know, I don't know who gives and who doesn't. That's between the, the, you and the Lord. But understand this, that long before the law of Moses, Abraham gave a tenth. The Bible says to Melchizedek, we see here in Chronicles that he speaks of the fact that one of the aspects of the way that we worship God is through our giving. Now, obviously, giving of our time, you know, giving uh, of our talents, as we spoke about. But also, he says, when you come into his presence, he says, they brought an offering to the Lord. Look with me in 1 Chronicles 29. David reminds us of one of the, the most crucial, most important truths about stewardship. And that is, everything we have is God's. It's not mine, it's his. Listen to what David said in in the scripture teaches here in 1 Chronicles 29, starting in verse 10. This is when David is getting all of the the, the things that he needs for the temple and he's going to have Solomon. Solomon is going to be king and Solomon is going to build the temple. David, if you were to read, we don't have time, the first 10 verses, it talks about how much David gave. It was insane amount of money. David gave like thousands of pounds, literally, of gold and silver for the building of the temple. And then he calls out to the people and he asked the people to give a free will offering so that they could cre- create and build this place of worship called the temple. But notice what he says. He says, therefore, David, blessed the Lord. Notice this in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. So where does your money come from? It comes from the Lord. He says that riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. He says, we're giving We're just giving it back. It's all yours. you blessed us with it. You've given it to us. And now we're willingly giving it back to you. For your strangers before you and sojourners. As all our fathers were, our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and it is all your own. You see, David realized whose it is. And he's reminding the people that everything they have is from God and that what they're giving back freely and willingly is something they're just giving back to God what he had already given them. He says, I know, my God, that you test the heart. Notice that it's a heart matter. You test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness in the uprightness of my heart. I have freely notice this. Notice he says, I have freely offered all these things and now I have seen your people Who are present here offering freely, and say the next word with me, joyously to you. They gave joyously. Oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Notice it's a heart matter. He then talks about, he says, grant to Saul, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, performing all, that he may build the the, the, the palace for which I have made provision. He speaks of the building of the temple. But notice he talks about this very clearly, that giving is a heart issue. That it has to do with our heart and he talks about giving freely and giving willingly and he talks about giving joyfully. It's interesting because the New Testament speaks of these things as well. But I want us to be reminded that the number one, number one foundational principle of stewardship is this, is that it's not ours, it's his, amen? And everything that we have comes from God. Whether it's our health and our abilities and, you know, many times when it comes to to money and finances, people will say, well, I've worked hard my whole life and, you know, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. Well, where'd you get those bootstraps, you know, where'd they come from? Well, I've worked hard and I've done it and I've earned it and all of these things. But where did you get the health? The ability to do what you do, the, the mind and the, the, the faculties to be able to do the things that you do, they're all a gift from God. We sang it this morning. It's his breath in our lungs. Amen. It is God who has given us everything and everything that we have is from God and ultimately belongs to him. It is his, it is not mine. I am just to to manage what God has blessed me with. And you are to manage and steward what God has blessed you with, including your money, your finances. Solomon says this in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Notice what Solomon says. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the leftovers of all your produce. Did you guys get that? I want to see if you're paying attention. Can we go back to that one again? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the what? First. Not seconds, not thirds, not leftovers. First fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. God wants our best. He wants our first, not our leftovers. And he makes a promise. Solomon in this proverb says, listen, if you give the Lord of the first fruits, God will continue to bless you. It's a promise from God. Look at me in Malachi chapter three. I love good old Malachi. Malachi chapter three, he says this. Will a man rob God? Oh, I would never rob God. Will a man rob God? He says this. Him speaking, Malachi speaking to the nation of Israel, God's people. He says, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And notice his response. In your tithes and contributions. Some versions say your tithes and offerings. In the Old Testament, they were commanded to give a tithe. That was 10%, a tenth of Of everything that God blessed them, But it's interesting because he went on to say, and your offerings. It was also what was called free will offerings. So in the scripture, in the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, they were to tithe, give a tenth. That was 10%. But then beyond that, there were free will offerings. In fact, that was how the temple was built was built on free will offerings. You'll find later that King Josiah when he wants to restore the temple that had been neglected and falling apart once again, he calls upon God's people and they gave free will offerings and the people brought the items that they needed. You can go back to the time of the tabernacle even before the giving. Uh, Of the law and and, and at the very beginning of the giving of the law and at that time frame when they were going to build the tabernacle, the people brought things, generously brought, and they were free will offerings. You see, we find that pre-law, Abraham gave a tenth and he he gave and he brought forth an offering. We'll see that in the times of the law, in the days of, of the law, in the Mosaic law that Moses commanded God's people to give a tenth. 10% 10% of what God has blessed them with. I don't know about you, it's a pretty good deal that God lets us keep 90% and you only expected to give back 10. Amen. That's a pretty good deal, amen. It's all his. And even though it was all his, he only required that they give 10%. But then he also will see that there was times where there was free will offerings. He says, you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. He says, you're robbing me. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put, he says, thereby put me to the test. I love this, says the Lord of hosts. He says, put me to the test. The Lord says, test me, try me, see if it's not true. I will not, he says, that I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will destroy the the fruits of your soul." Soil And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. It's interesting. There's a promise. There's kind of a procedure and a promise. God says to his people, test me, try me, prove me. And see that if what I'm saying is not true. That if, that if you trust me with your finances, if you trust me and if you're faithful to me and you give to my work and give to, to, to the work of God. He says, then understand this. I will bless you. And he says, and one thing I'll do for you, I will rebuke the devourer. Some things they'll say, like the idea of pests and the things that will come and and steal their crops. But can I tell you something? I believe the enemy is a devourer as well, too. Amen? he's He's like a lion. The Bible says, seeking whom he may devour. You see, what I believe is this, is that if you are faithful to give a portion back the first fruits back to God that God will keep his promise because the Bible says this. He says, if you give of the first fruits, I will make sure that you are blessed and I will make sure that you have enough, that you will have what you need. By the way, it's interesting. The scripture says what you need, not what you mm-hmm. you guys are good. Oftentimes we think it's all about our wants and our desires, but God says, no, I will make sure your needs are met. But it's interesting here that God even says to his people who had gotten away, their hearts had turned away from God because it is a heart matter. And their hearts had turned away from God and they were robbing God of their tithes and robbing God of the free will offerings. And God says, you're robbing me, you're robbing me. And he says, test me, try me, prove me. Just see that if it's not so. And he says, and if you start... If you start to give, he says, I will bless you. And he says, I will bless you. Make sure you have all of your needs met. He says, but I will do something else. I will rebuke the devour. You know what I believe? I believe that oftentimes we end up giving up the 10th. We do. We give up the 10th or the tithe or the first fruits or the giving, whatever you want to call it. You're going to lose it one way or the other. Your funds are either going to be cursed and honestly, end up in the enemy's hands or you can give it to the Lord. You say, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? What does that look like? He'll rebuke the devourer for your, for your sake. What does he mean by that? To test him and to prove him. You know what? Sometimes we don't think about it. But you know what I believe? If we're faithful to God and we give to God. There are times where maybe your tires will last just a little bit longer remember the children of Israel and they were wandering their clothes did not wear out amen (laughs) and their shoes didn't wear out that maybe the furnace will last a little bit longer come on now the dishwasher will get an extra year or two the washing machine will last a little bit longer you guys understanding does this make sense that the Lord will say you know what I'm going to bless them because they're they're honoring me and they're giving and they're doing what I've asked them to do. And so I'm going to bless them. And you know what? For some reason, the brake pads last a little bit longer. The car runs a little bit longer. Man, some of the cars I drove, I'm telling you, they were held together by duct tape, binder twine, prayer, and tithing. The hundreds, amen, amen. (laughs) Amen. the hundreds of thousands of miles that they had, and people would say, how is this car still running? And I'm like, I don't know, it's God. It's the Lord. Man, I I had this old Suburban, and I don't know you're going to say, because it's a Chevy, Pastor, that's why. I had this old Chevy Suburban, man, I... We had so many miles. That thing just kept on going and going and going and going. And I can I look back and I think about it. I'm like, you know what it was? That was the Lord rebuking the devourer. He just and you're some of you're saying that's because it's a Chevy, you know. But God just kept that thing running and running and running. Maybe it's a little less trips to the mechanic. Come on now. You say, can God do that? Listen, folks, look at the beauty that God put out there, that God created, that he cast out there. Don't you think he can take care of you? Amen? He says, test me, try me, prove me. I'm even going to throw this challenge out. Maybe if you've never given before. Maybe it's giving to someone else, giving to a ministry, giving to the church. Here's your challenge. Do it. Try it. Test God. You might even be starting small. Just test God and see what God will do. There are times where God has asked me to give free will willingly, to give to other people or to give to needs. And there was times I struggle with it. And I said, Lord, I mean, there's times the Lord asked me to give my last 20. And there was times the Lord said, give your last, you know, I'm saying last 20 that I had. And I'm like, I am broken. There's not much left. And you want to know something a few days later, out of nowhere. I'm not saying this is why we give, but can I tell you this? I can tell you this as a testimony that God keeps his word. And somewhere out of nowhere, unexpectedly, God then provides somewhere else. How many of you say, Pastor Joe, I can say that I've experienced that somewhat in my life? Is there some of you? Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You've seen God do that. Because God's word is true, God is not a liar. Look with me in Acts chapter 2. Verse forty-four and forty-five. Notice this. Now, you ready? I know what you're saying. I am. I don't believe in tithing. Now, I'm not here to try to convince anyone of tithing. I'm just here to talk about giving. Okay? I don't believe in tithing. That's Old Testament. Well, good because how many of you are a New Testament giver then? (laughs) (laughs) Woo! New Testament giving. Acts 2, through 45. And all who believed, and we won't have time to go to Acts chapter 4, but it says this. All who believed were together, had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any that had need. In Acts chapter 4, it says the same thing, that they sold their possessions, they gave everything that they had, and they gave it all to the church. So if you don't like tithing, that's fine, I'm I'm okay with that, because I think we should just sell everything and bring it all to the church, amen? Now, how many of you are New Testament givers now? Oh, no, no, no. I kind of like that tithe idea a whole lot. There's a whole lot to this, but can I say this? A tithe is really interesting. I believe it's one of the fairest things that the that the Bible teaches, because if you are a widow and you're on Social Security, and let's say you only bring in I'm just hypothetically five hundred dollars, if you give a tithe, you're giving the same percentage as the multimillionaire who drops in hundreds of thousands of dollars. But in God's eyes, it's all the same. Do you understand? It's very fair. Even when they established a the Mosaic law, it was a very fair way of saying everyone does their part. And we're all a part of, of the work of God and doing the work of God. And so I do believe that it's very fair. But in the New Testament, we see numerous times in the book of Acts that they gave everything. They sold all their possessions and they just brought it all to the church. And I'm not saying today, hey, everyone, go sell everything you have and bring it to the church. That's not what we're saying. But the the idea was giving was a matter of the heart. And God did use it and God used those people to help really establish the, the, the church. And it was through their generosity and their giving and their giving to Paul and to the mission's work that as they sold their possessions, they made sure that everyone's needs were met. It was a matter of the heart. I've heard a man once say this. I wish I could give credit. Maybe I should have Google searched it. But I remember years ago I heard this, that the idea of tithing, sometimes people get upset. But, but someone once said it like this, that tithing is the training wheels of biblical giving or scriptural giving. How many of you, when you started riding a bike, you used training wheels? You remember that? Or with kids, or maybe you helped hold the bike. You know, the idea of training wheels, it's, it's kind of to get us started in this area of giving. And some of you are getting scared because you're saying, wait, Pastor Joe, are you saying that we should be giving more? I'm saying you should give what God puts upon your heart to give. But it is interesting that the scripture throughout the, the Bible, there was this idea of tithing, each one doing their part. Look with me in Luke chapter 6. Verse 38, here's another promise from the Lord. New Testament promise. In the Old Testament, also New Testament, He makes some promises about this area of giving. He, the Lord Jesus said this. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Do you see this promise that the Jesus gave in the area of giving? He says, "Give, and it will be given to you." He says, "Good measure, shaken together." It's kind of like I don't know about you, but when you go to those some places with, and you get an ice cream cone, and they don't they don't really pack it down. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I want them to pack it down, you know, like fill the cone. Have you ever seen some place where you get the ice cream cone? It's all air in the middle. It's like, oh, I got gypped. The Lord says, you know what? He says, when you give, He says, I'm going to give it back to you, good measure, shaken, pressed down, compacted, pressed down. I'm going to tell you something, listen, that you can't outgive God. Amen? You cannot. You cannot outgive the Lord. He says, I promise you, if you give and if you are a blessing and if you're a good steward and you manage your finances and your, your treasures and your, your wealth and if you manage it wisely and if you, are, you use it to be a blessing to others, he says, I will bless you because I believe it really is that this idea that we become a conduit, that as God gives it to us, it flows through us and he entrusts us and as he entrusts us with it we we use it wisely, then God will bless us with more so that we can be a blessing. Proverbs 28, 27, as I said, a lot of scripture, because there's a lot of scripture that speak of this. He says, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many accursed. You see, there's again a, a promise. There's a blessing. Understand this as well. I'm not just talking about giving to the church or tithing, but I am saying giving is about the kingdom work. Does that make sense? Doing the kingdom work, whether in the name of Jesus you bless someone or you help someone, you give to someone and you, you know, maybe say something like, may God bless you or can I pray for you, that God will bless that, that God will bless you. And he says, if you hide your eyes, you try to close your eyes to the needy and the, the needs around us, he says, hey, you better watch out. You're going to bring a curse upon yourself. Let me remind us, as we, as we give, understand that a percentage of what comes into to Red Hills, a good percentage, like 12%, goes out. And, and beyond that, because there's times if we have widows in need, the church helps. As you give, do you understand that uh, we give considerably to things like care and share? Every single month, Red Hills. So as you give and you give a tenth, it doesn't stay here, it goes out. Does that make sense? And it's meeting needs of, of people in the community. And when there's times where people are in need and we, we have benevolence and there's people in need, then the church acts. And so you're a part of that, whether you realize it or not, that as you faithfully give, and if you're giving through Red Hills, giving to the kingdom work through Red Hills, see it in that, in that, that, that perspective, that even if you're giving $5 or $10, but when we're all doing it cooperatively, understand that you're being a blessing and touching lives while you're at work or you're at the coffee shop. You don't even realize the impact that it's having. Does this make sense? Second Corinthians chapter 9. Notice what Paul says this. He says, the point is this, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly, Will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. God loves cheerfully. When we give cheerfully, a cheerful giver. And God is able. Notice this: this is what God's able to do. He said, may able to make all grace abound to you. You will be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ, notice, and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. He says, "Do you see, he says, listen, as you give, God is going, and if you're being generous and he can trust you with what he's blessed you with, he's going to give you more so that you can bless more and do more with it. And it's all for the glory of God. And he says, don't you understand that, that God will, his grace will abound to you? He, to, you know, if you sow, uh, you know, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If he says, the more you give, this sounds crazy. And I'm not trying to sound, I don't want this to be a prosperity. But he says, in essence, the more you give, the more you're going to get. The more God is going to bless you so that you can continue to be a blessing. Now, understand this. God knows our heart. Amen. And so if we just say, well, I'm just going to give so I can get a bunch more. Well, God knows your heart. And that's not the purpose. And the reason why, he says, the purpose is to bring glory to God. In Acts chapter 20, we're almost done. Bear with me a couple minutes. Acts 20, verse 30 through 35. He says this. I coveted no one's silver or gold, Paul speaking, or apparel, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown shown, uh, you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul says that he labored and he worked, and he reminds all of us, As followers of Jesus Christ, it is more, he said it's more, there's more blessing in giving than receiving. Now look at 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. And I gotta finish this up. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, he says this. As for the rich in this present age, he says, charge them or command them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But on God. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. But not only to enjoy. But he goes on to say they are to do good. To be rich in good works. He says so challenge them. Charge them. By the way, I'm doing what Paul told Timothy to do. I'm doing it to you right now. To challenge you. To charge you. To command you to be, to, to be rich in good deeds. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul told Timothy, he says, command the church, command the churches, challenge them to, to, to understand that God has blessed them. And that God has given them what they have so that they can be a blessing to someone else to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be ready and willing to share. And that is what we are called to do. But I know what some of you are saying. You're saying, well, Pastor Joe, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. It says, charge them that are rich in this world. Well, let's pause for a moment. Let me finish with this. The median household income in the United States of America, they say that's total household income. Median household income in the United States, they say it's $71,000. Obviously, certain places, more or less. If you're in California, good luck with that, right? (laughs) Utah, uh, it's getting that way too. Thanks to all the Californians. Love y'all, but you know what I mean. Now listen, if you have a median household income of $71,000, that's total household income, whether that's you, your wife, spouse, kids, whatever, you are in the top 4% richest in the world. Okay? As an individual, as an individual, just an individual, you are in the top 1% of the worldwide earners if you make more than $60,000 a year. So if you make $60,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the world's earners. Hmm. If your household income is a cumulative of 70,000 or so, you are in the top 4% of the wealthiest of wealthiest in the world. I can even go one step farther. Just clean drinking water is something that many, many places do not have. Are you with me? If you eat two to three times a day, many places in the world do not even eat. Many individuals go to bed hungry. Yes, here in this country... But I'm talking in other countries where there are no programs, where there's little or no help. I finished with this. The median worldwide income is $2,800 per year. And this is all off of giving what we can. So the median worldwide income per year is $2,800. That means half of the households in America makes more than 25 times the median worldwide income. I would say that, not for sure, but a good portion of us are in the top 1 or 2% wealthiest people in the world. If anything, if you get nothing else, just say, thank God, amen? (laughs) And that God is good. But Paul says, charge them who are rich in this world to do what? To be generous, to be rich in good deeds, to be giving, to share what you have, that God has blessed you. Can I say this? We are greatly blessed. Amen. We oftentimes look at what we don't have and we complain. We're all guilty of it, of the things we don't have, or we say, well, I don't I, I can't afford to give. We'll look at it next week, but I'm reminded of when Jesus was there in the temple where people were coming to give, and the woman the woman who came and gave all that she had. It was equivalent to you know, less than pennies. And Jesus said she gave more than all the others because she gave, she gave everything she had. I'm not asking you or saying to you that you're supposed to give everything that you have but I can say this, that God has blessed us richly. Amen? And he says, I've blessed you so that you can be a blessing. I've blessed you and given you treasure, financial means, but I expect you to do something with it. Are we faithful with our stewardship in the area of our giving. I'm not just talking about giving to a church or the church. I'm talking about being a blessing. I'm talking about helping others. Seeing the needs of others, not closing our eyes and turning our head. Many times even within our own body or with brothers and sisters or neighbors or people we know, we we hear of needs and we'll say something like, "Well, I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you." Maybe, maybe we're supposed to be the answer to that prayer. Amen? I'm not saying that it's always the case. But I, I would say this. I would encourage us to be a little more sensitive to the Holy Spirit in the area of generosity, in the area of giving. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. By the way, part two next week, all right?